number of years ago, I was walking through a Christian bookstore, and uh, the cover of a book caught my eye. Caught my eye because uh, the font on it was kind of hand-drawn and big and bold, but more than that, it caught my eye because of the words that were on the cover of the book. The book was entitled, How Come It's Taking Me So Long to Get Better? How, long it, how come it's taking me so long to get better? I picked up the book, turned it over, looked at the back, and I realized this was a book that was not about physical sickness or physical health. It was a book about spiritual sickness and spiritual health. It was a book about why does it sometimes seem that it takes so long to make progress in the spiritual life? Why is it sometimes so hard to grow in holiness even when you're trying so hard? Why can the spiritual life be a big struggle? Now, that title gave voice to a question that had been bubbling in my heart. Lord, why is that? Why does it take us so long to get better? Why does it take me so long to get better? Maybe that's a question you've wrestled with, even since coming to Heritage. You know, here you are, focused on trying to grow in your faith, become stronger in God's Word, and sometimes you look in the mirror and think, how come I'm not changing more than I'm changing? Why is this so hard? In our Tuesday chapels this fall, we're in a series called Thinking Biblically. And we're thinking biblically about some really important issues in life. And today we're going to deal with some thinking biblically about a very important issue for anyone who's trying to move towards holiness, trying to move towards Christ, but finds it at times to be pretty hard and uphill and a struggle. Today I want to talk to you about thinking biblically about spiritual struggle. And I want to do that by taking you to a passage that I think is super helpful for us because it not only diagnoses the problem, it also points to the solution. It's a passage that will help you. If you've wrestled with this personally, why is it taking me so long to get better? Here's a passage that you're going to be familiar with and understand and then apply. The passage I'm referring to is found in the book of Romans chapter 7 and then into chapter 8. So can I invite you to take a Bible, please? Join me in Romans chapter 7. We're going to be in Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through the end of the chapter, and then we'll move into chapter 8. And I want to talk to you about thinking biblically about spiritual struggle. And my hope today is that as you leave here, you will have a clearer sense on just why this thing called the Christian life at times can be so hard, why it seems so uphill, why there is a struggle. Why is that? But then you will be very clear, equally clear, perhaps more clear, on what is God's solution for the struggle? What are you supposed to do with this? How can God help you? How can he help me in walking towards holiness? I know we've prayed. Let me pray for us one more time, though, as we look in God's word. Father, this morning, as we open your word, this is an area where every one of us, at least at times, feel acutely the struggle that it is to walk in your ways. And sometimes that baffles us. Why is it, Lord? We want this. We try for this. I pray today you will help us understand the nature of our struggle, but also the nature of your solution, what your provision is. So I pray that my words would stay closely aligned to your word and that your spirit would use your word in everyone's hearts today. And I pray this for the glory and the good name of your son, Jesus. Amen. 
So I'm going to read for you verses 14 down through verse 25 of chapter 7. And as I read it, I want you to just listen not only to the words, but the tone of this text. I want you to hear the, the exasperation, the sense of emotion that comes out of these words, okay? This is a very emotive passage. You don't always expect this when you're reading kind of some doctrinal sections, but listen to it and you'll see what I'm talking about. Romans chapter 7, picking up in verse 14. Paul writes this, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, well, that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. So Paul is writing here and his tone is somewhat unusual. If you've read a lot of Paul's writings, this does not sound like the Paul that you read when you're coming through Colossians or Ephesians, or Philippians. I mean, his tone here seems somewhat defeated, exasperated, frustrated, confused. In fact, it's so different than what Paul normally sounds like that many biblical scholars have concluded that Paul here is talking about his life before Jesus. They've said, well, this must be Paul giving his testimony about how, how much he struggled before he knew Christ when he was walking in Judaism. Before he knew Jesus, this must be about that time. That's when he was so exasperated. That's when he was so frustrated. And that is a possible reading of this text. That's one way to understand it. I don't think it's the best way to understand it. I think that textually, the greater argument is that Paul is talking about part of his experience as a Christian. Not everything, but part of his experience as a Christian. Like when he writes this, this is a struggle that he knows about even as a follower of Jesus. You say, well, why do you say that? Well, I say that for one reason, because of the verb tenses that Paul uses in this chapter. If you were to do take a study of, of chapter 7 and you read verses 1 to 13, we won't take time to do it, but if you were to read 1 to 13, what you would find is that Paul consistently uses past tense verbs. Let me just show you what I mean. Look at, uh, like, for example... Uh, just pick up verse 9. He says, I once was alive apart from the law, 
But when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. All past tense verbs. Okay, and that's what he does in verses 1 to 13. But then, get this, he comes to verse 14 all the way to verse 25 and he uses present tense verbs over and over. Like, look at verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am, present tense, of the flesh sold under sin. Look at verse 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. Dwells, present tense. So I think Paul's talking to us about part of his experience as a follower of Jesus. Now, if that's true, think of the implications for you. Think about this. If Paul, Paul had, had a struggle trying to walk in the way of the Lord, trying to walk in the way of holiness, if Paul had a hard time, what do you think that implies for you or for me? Like if he was struggling with this, you think you're going to breeze by? Probably not. Okay, like Paul is like on the, on the top of our charts in terms of somebody who was devoted, committed, deeply passionate about Jesus. And here he is saying, you know what? I got this fight going on inside of me. And I don't understand myself. Sometimes I want to do this and I do the wrong thing. I know what the right thing is, but I don't always do the right thing. So Paul is talking to us about a struggle. And this morning, I want us to unpackage verses 14 to 25 and diagnose why the struggle exists, why it was for Paul, why it is for you, why it is for me. And the first thing that I want you to see comes right out of verses 14 to 25. I would put it this way. Here's the diagnosis. Holiness is a struggle because of something in you, and that is your flesh. Holiness is a struggle. Why is it a struggle? Because of something that's inside of you. Paul calls it the flesh. Holiness is hard because of something inside of you, and that something is called the flesh. Do you notice how he talks about the flesh? Some of your translations might say sinful nature, but it literally is the word sarks or flesh. Like, for example, look at verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh. Okay, look at verse 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. So that raises the question, what's he talking about? What's this thing called the flesh? I'm going to ask you to think with me a bit this morning. This first part of the sermon that I'm going to lead you through is going to take some hard thinking on your part. This is not easy stuff. This is not simple things. These are complex matters. So I'm going to ask you to think hard with me because when we get to the solution, you're going to understand the solution. You're going to feel the solution if you've wrestled with the problem. So Paul's talking about the flesh. What's he talking about? What is the flesh? The Greek word is the word sarks. Okay, and that word can be used in this passage in a couple of different ways. Sarks can be used as something that is outside of you, namely your skin. So you are flesh and bone, right? So that's sometimes how it's used. It can be used of something outside of you, something very physical. But get this. It can also be used, the word sarks can be used of something that is inside of you. Something that's not physical, but spiritual. And I think that's where Paul is using it here. He's talking about something inside of you. He's calling it the flesh, sinful nature. It's a spiritual reality. And he's saying, that's what makes holiness so hard. That's why you struggle, because of the flesh. 
And what I want to do here is show you at least three things about the flesh that you and I need to know that come right out of verses 14 to 25. So holiness is hard. It's a struggle because of something in you, the flesh. What do we know about the flesh? Let me give you three things. Here's the first one. The flesh is part of you even after you are in Christ. Okay, just setting the table there. The flesh is part of you, and it's part of you even after you become a new creation in Christ. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at your identity from Romans 6, and I said, hey, you've got a new identity. If anyone's in Christ, he or she is a new creation. Old is gone, new has come, right? We looked at Romans chapter 6, verse 11. Therefore, consider yourself, think about yourself as dead to sin, alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, you may say, wait, how am I supposed to put this together? Romans 6 says, I'm a new person, right? I'm not, I'm not what I once was. In fact, I said to you in the Romans 6 message, I said, listen, here's the good truth. You don't have to live like you used to live because you're not who you used to be. You're a new person. So it sounds like, wow, that's all sunshine. That's all good. And then you come to Romans 7 and Paul says, well, there is, you're a new person but you have still something inside of you that's a leftover from your old life. You have the flesh. It's a leftover from who you used to be. Oh, you're a new person. You have a new heart. Your deepest part of you, if you're a Christian, the deepest part of you wants to please God. Have you found that? Like you go, yeah, I really want that. But you still have something inside of you that's a leftover from who you were and that something inside of you is waging war against the new part of you. In fact, Paul talks about it as a war. Did you notice that in verse 23? Look at verse 23. He says, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Paul says, you know what I got going in me? I got a bit of a civil war going. I've got the flesh and it's fighting against my new self, my, who I am in Christ. And there's a war. And the fight is still real. Maybe I could illustrate it this way. If you've been following the news this week, you've heard the news that the head of ISIS, this guy named Al um, Baghdani, he was the head, started the caliphate of ISIS, and he was killed this week. He was tracked down, hunted down, and he blew himself up, right? So he was the head of ISIS. And right now, ISIS, which used to have a portion of land in Syria, has been rooted out of the cities that they held and the regions that they held. Now they've killed the leader. So in a sense, ISIS has been defeated. But all the leaders of the world are saying, wait, wait, not so fast. ISIS is not gone. There are still pockets of resistance waging guerrilla warfare. Oh, they may not have a city they own, but they got people in that city. They may not have a section of the land, but they got people in that land and they're blending in, but at the right moment they attack, they cause problems. The flesh is a bit like that. You see, Satan has been defeated in your life, if you're a Christian, right? You're a new person, but there still is a guerrilla warfare going on in your soul because the flesh is like a pocket of resistance. It, it's, not, it's not in charge anymore, but it's still fighting you. And that's why it can be so hard. Yes, you've got problems outside of you, the world and the, and the devil, but inside of you, you've got a civil war. 
There was an Anglican bishop by the name of uh, John Charles Ryle, J.C. Ryle, who said this, the true Christian is known by two marks, his or her inward peace and his or her inward warfare. One of the ways you know you're a true Christian is that you've got a fight going on inside. See, before you knew Jesus, you didn't really have that big of a fight. Everything of you was just going towards self, towards sin. But then you became a Christian, and now you have a new part of you that's trying to go towards Jesus, and the old part, the little bit of remnants, is still fighting that. So the flesh is, first of all, part of you, even after you're in Christ. Here's the second thing. The flesh is an internal reality that pulls you from God, pulls you away from God, and pulls you towards sin and towards self. What is the flesh? The flesh is like this internal reality, and it pulls you away from God, and it pulls you towards sin, towards self. Paul talks about the flesh here as a law. It's kind of interesting words. Look at it with me. Look at verse, uh, for example, 21. Paul says, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Look at verse 23. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind. Look at verse 25 at the end. But I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. He's talking about sin as a law, the flesh as a law. What's, like, what's with that? Here's where you got to think hard again. Okay, follow me here. When Paul uses the word law, he uses it in two different ways. Sometimes he talks about law as a set of rules and regulations. Okay, that's like the law of Moses, right? like all these rules, all these regulations. But sometimes he uses the word law as not as rules, but as a reality. Think of the law of gravity. Okay, law of gravity. It's not like a rule book. Law of gravity is just this reality that says if you try to go up, if you, if you were up here on this stage and you decide you're just going to walk off the stage and you're going to keep walking on air, well, it's not going to happen, right? You're going to go down pretty hard because there's a law, a reality called gravity. Paul is saying that the flesh is like that law of gravity. It's a law of spiritual gravity. It's pulling you down. It's pulling you away from God. It's pulling you towards sin. It's pulling you towards yourself. And just like the law of gravity is not something you can see, but it's real. So the law of the flesh is not something you can see, but it's real. Let me show you a quick video that gives you maybe a little illustration of what this is kind of like. Watch this. People have been curious about this for a while, so if you go back, and here's a beautiful example to the 1920s, a young scientist by the name of Asa Schaefer asked a friend, could you put on a blindfold? I'm going to take you to the edge of a field, and he said, what I'd like you to do is walk across this field in a straight line, just stay as straight on course as you possibly can. So, the man headed off, and here is Asa's map of what happened next. The man starts to walk. And his route, as you see here, begins to tilt ever so slightly to the right. We're going to speed this up just a bit. Notice that the blindfolded man now starts to turn dramatically, taking him back to the road where he started from, and then across the road, and then around again, and then back again, and around again. And increasingly, he's moving in smaller curls until finally he hits a tree and stops. All the while... He thought he was walking in a perfectly straight line. Strange? Well, there are many studies just like this. 
From 1928, here are three people who leave a barn on a very foggy day, and what they want to do is go to a point about a half mile away. Here's what happened, the map version. The barn is here. The destination is here. Now watch this. Off they go. They think they're walking straight, but instead what they actually do is they start to turn and turn and turn and end up weirdly back at the very place where they started, the barn. This experiment has been done in all kinds of situations. Here's another 1928 study. A man is blindfolded and then asked to jump into a lake and swim in a straight line to the other side. Now, here is where he swam. There is apparently a profound inability in humans to stick to a straight line when blindfolded or when there is no fixed point, no sun, no moon, no mountaintop to guide them. In this last case, a blindfolded man is asked to get into a car and is told to drive in a straight line across a totally empty Kansas field. Now, the driver is not in any danger. All he has to do is hold course. But here is the map that shows what happened next. For 80 years, scientists have been trying to explain this tendency to turn when you think you're going straight. They thought maybe this is some form of handedness, like being a righty or a lefty, or maybe it's a right-left brain thing where one side of you is slightly dominant and then the dominance builds over time. Maybe it's just simple asymmetry. Some people are stronger on one side or have different sized arms or legs, but try as they might, and we're still trying these experiments, nobody has really figured out why we can't go straight. They're saying there's something inside of us as people that doesn't know how to go straight. And if you put that in a spiritual sense, here's what I'm saying. The flesh is like the part of you that when you're trying to walk straight after God, it just pulls you off course and you start circling away. And guess where you circle? You circle in more and more on yourself. You're trying to go straight, but you can't seem to do it. That's what the flesh is. It's this internal reality that pulls you away from God towards sin and self. So here's the third thing I want you to hear about the flesh. This is the most discouraging of all. Here's the third. If you're grim already, just wait till you hear this one, all right? Third thing about the flesh is this. The flesh is stronger than your will, your emotions, or your mind. The flesh is stronger than you are. It's stronger than your will, your emotions, and your mind. You say, how do you know that? Stronger than your will, verse 21. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, my will, evil lies close at hand. Stronger than your emotions, verse 22, for I delight, there's my emotions, I delight in the law of God, but in my inner being, I see in my members another law waging war. Stronger than your mind, verse 25, look at the end. I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. So here you are, you're a Christian, and in your mind, you know what you want to do. You've studied, your, you've studied in your classes, in your courses, and you go, I know what God wants. I want to do that. And somehow you get pulled off. In your emotions, you want to do. You feel you leave a chapel service and you're flying high. You just think, I love the Lord. I love what he's done for me. We sang of his goodness and grace. I want to live for him. And then by afternoon, what's happened? You've kind of drifted. So your mind, your will, your emotions, 
You even decide, you say, Lord, I'm not today going to give in to that tendency that I have to shoot off my mouth at the wrong time and say something that hurts people. I'm just not going to do that. How's that go? Or you say, I'm not going to give way to the pull that I find towards pornography or towards anything that's pulling me up. Lord, I don't want to do that. I decide I'm not going to do that. The flesh is stronger than your mind, your will, and emotions. So why is holiness so hard? Because of something inside of you, something inside of me, the flesh. Now, if we just closed her up and said, okay, thanks for coming to chapel. God bless you. You're dismissed. It'd be, pretty, it'd be a pretty dark day here, right? It's like, well, where's the hope in all this? Well, I want to finish our time by showing you the hope because Romans 7 isn't the end of the book, is it? You turn the page and you end up in Romans 8 and the tone changes dramatically. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Look at what it says in chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. It's like, Paul, whoa, where did that come from? Chapter 7 was all, it's struggle. It's a struggle. And then he comes to chapter 8, and he goes, there's no condemnation, and the spirit has set you free. The solution that he gets to in chapter 8 is the Holy Spirit. See, here's the second thing I want you to see. If it's true that holiness is a struggle because of something in you, the flesh, now in chapter 8, Paul says, holiness is possible because of someone in you, namely the Holy Spirit. Do you have the flesh in you? Yeah. But if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit within you. Romans chapter 7, the fight is between the flesh and you. And guess who wins? The flesh. Romans chapter 8, the fight is between the flesh and the Holy Spirit in you. And Paul says, and the Spirit wins. That's what he says in, in, uh, as, he, as he works his way through chapter 8. Chapter 8 could be called the Holy Spirit chapter. Romans chapter 8 could be the Holy Spirit chapter. Holy Spirit is only mentioned one time in chapter 7, but over 20 times in chapter 8. So what I want to do in my last few minutes is just to give you a brief survey of how the Holy Spirit helps you live a holy life. I'm going to pull out quickly, just going to rhyme them off, eight ways that the Holy Spirit helps you in the struggle. Eight ways from chapter eight that the Holy Spirit helps you. And these should be incredibly encouraging to you as they have been to me. Let me show them to you without much commentary. I would encourage you to to go, Romans chapter eight should be a chapter you spend a lot of time in. Like read it over, memorize it, soak in it. Because here are eight ways the Holy Spirit can help you in the struggle. Here's the first one. The Holy Spirit can help you walk straight. Verse 4. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You know, if you're trying to walk the way of holiness by yourself, guess what happened? You, like the little video we saw, you start turning in circles. But when you walk by the Spirit, the Spirit's able to keep you on track. He can help you walk straight. Second one. He can, the Spirit can help you think right. Verse 5 and 6. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. They're doing some stinking thinking. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death. Catch this. But the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. So the Spirit can help you with your thinking. So it doesn't go way off. Third thing. Spirit of life, the Spirit of God can help you come alive. Look at verse 11. 
If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and he does if you're a Christian, then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead, catch this, will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. So some days you wake up and you just feel lifeless. You feel inert. You feel dull. You just feel like, Lord, I just don't got it today. Well, that's true. You don't. But the spirit of God could come and actually give life to your mortal body. He can empower you to do the things that God wants you to do. Here's the fourth thing. Spirit of God can help you kill sin. Look at verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. It kills you. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Like you, you don't know how to kill that sin that's always haunting you, but the spirit does. So you learn to hand it over to him. Say, Lord, this one has to die. Spirit can help you in that. Here's the fifth one. The spirit can help you follow close. Look at verse 14. For all who are led by the spirit are the sons of God. Like you're trying to walk the way of holiness, but you keep drifting off it. But the spirit says, follow me. I'll I'll walk you down the way of holiness and you follow because all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. Here's the sixth one. The spirit can help you draw near. I love verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Spirit of God comes to you right in the middle of the struggle. Like when you're having a bad day and it's not been going well, you've been drifting all over and the spirit of God says, look, why don't you come close? Let's kill that sin, but you can come close right in the middle. You don't have to wait till your life is all fixed up and then you draw close to God. He says, right now, you can come to God as your Abba Father. Ask him for help. And his spirit bears witness in your spirit that you belong, that you're a child of God. The spirit of God does that in the middle of the struggle. Here's the seventh one. Spirit of God helps you look ahead. Look at verse 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruit of the spirit Grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoptions of son, as sons, the redemptions of our body. The Spirit of God puts in you a longing for wholeness, a longing for home, a longing for heaven. Why do you still have a hunger to know God? And why do you have a hunger to be wholly His? Spirit of God working in you. It's getting you ready for heaven. And then finally, the eighth one, the Spirit of God helps you pray better. Verse 26, likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness for we don't know how to pray as we ought, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings that are too deep for words. Some days in the struggle, you think, Lord, I don't even know what to say. And the spirit of God comes and says, I know what you need to say. See, all along the struggle, you're fighting it. The spirit is saying, I'm here to help you. I'm going to help you kill sin. I'll help you follow close. I'll help you walk straight. I'll help you think right. I'll help you look ahead. Maybe I can finish it off with an illustration that helps me think of how this works out in real life, in real time. A couple of weeks ago when I was talking to you about identity, I told you the story of my seminary professor, Bill Lawrence, who was born as named Douglas Rice. And there was a time when he was adopted into the Lawrence family and he got a new identity. He was Bill Lawrence. Dr. Lawrence told us another illustration about this chapter that has stuck with me over the many years. It's a story of Grandma Little. And this is what Dr. Lawrence told us. He said that his wife, Lena, 
had in her life, I think it was her mom, maybe it was her grandma, Grandma Little. And they lived near Grandma Little, and they would go visit her on Sundays. She was in a retirement home, and they would go on Sundays to pick her up and bring her to their house to spend the afternoon with them. And Bill said, every week when I would come in to see Grandma Little, it was always the same thing. I would come in, and she was seated in a rocking chair. She had a rocking chair in her apartment, and she always had her hair perfectly done, and she was sitting there like, you've seen grandmas, just like this, just like ready to go, prim and proper. And he said, I would always come into her and I'd say the same thing. I'd say, how you doing today, Grandma Little? And she'd always say, pretty good. And then he would say, are you ready to go? And she'd say, yes, but not too fast. And he would put his arm down and she would put her arm up and she would stand up. And he said, there was this long hallway that went from her room out to the parking lot. And he said, we would walk down the hallway, her arm holding onto mine. Grandma Little walking by the strength of Bill Lawrence. And then Bill said this. He says, it feels to me like every morning the Holy Spirit comes to me as I'm waking up and says, how you doing today, Bill? And I say, pretty good. And the Spirit of God says, are you ready to go? And I say, yes, but not too fast. And then I put my life into his, and we go through the day, Bill Lawrence, walking by the strength of the Holy Spirit. In other words, you're still walking, just like Grandma Little, still your legs, you're moving, but it's not just you. You're not supplying all the power. You're not figuring out where to go. The Spirit of God is working. So how does that work during the course of your day if you were to walk by the Spirit? I think it looks like this. That as you go through the day and suddenly your thinking starts to go in some dark places, the Spirit of God comes and says, hey, let's not go there. And you think, that's right. Lord, help me to put my mind back to where you want it. And the Spirit of God helps you reorient your thinking. And then as you're going through the day, you stumble. You stumble spiritually and you fall and you sin. And the Spirit of God comes to you and says, you know, we need to kill that sin. Because that sin is killing you. And you say, I don't know how to kill it. It seems to always win. It says, hand it over to me. Put it to death by the Spirit. And you say, okay, God, if you will help me, put this to death. And you're learning to walk by the Spirit in that area. And then as you go through the day, Satan comes back and he's throwing in all those thoughts saying, what kind of Christian are you? You screw up far too many times. God doesn't really have any time for you. And the Spirit of God comes in and interrupts that stinking thinking and says, no, 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 no. You can draw close. It's Abba, Father. He is your Father, and the Spirit reminds you who you are, and you cry out, you say, Abba, Father, still yours. The Spirit of God's doing that. And then you're going through the day, and you just feel kind of lifeless. Your spirit feels dull. You don't feel energized towards God, towards His Word. You don't feel anything. And the Spirit of God comes and says, but I can help you. And you cry out and you say, Lord, right now, I got to do some studies and I'm not feeling it at all. It, it just feels like a burden to me. And the Spirit of God can animate and give you strength and power. You see, he's, he's there all the time. It's not like the struggle goes away. But you have a strength that's greater than the flesh. You see, the struggle with holiness is because of something in you, the flesh, but the possibility of holiness is true because of someone in you, the Holy Spirit. The Christian life is learning to walk 
by the Spirit. It's knowing who you are in Christ and then walking by the Spirit. Will it be an easy walk towards heaven? No, it wasn't for Paul. It won't be for you. But will it be a moment when, will it be a walk where there are moments of glory? Yes, because you will sense that the Spirit of God is helping you with your thinking, with your living. He's drawing you close. He's changing you. So how come it's taking me so long to get better? Because I'm in a struggle. And because where I'm headed is a place I can't get to by myself. But I'm going to get there. And you're going to get there. Because we are people who live in Christ and we walk by the Spirit. As we close, why don't you just talk to the Lord privately for a second? Why don't you just cry out to your Abba Father? What area of these eight I went over do you need the Spirit's help right now? Is it in terms of walking straight? Is it in terms of thinking right? Is it in terms of coming alive and being energized to Christ? Is it in terms of killing sin or following close? Where do you need the Lord's help? Is it drawing near? Is it looking ahead? Is it praying better? Where do you need the Spirit's help? Call out and ask Him for help right now. Because holiness is possible because of someone in you, the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are Abba Father. That we can draw close to you in the midst of the struggle. And that we can find from you, from the gift of the Holy Spirit, the strength we need today, this moment, this hour, to walk in your ways and not be pulled off into a little spin into our own selves and into sin. So I thank you that you've made provisions for us. Help us today to walk by the Spirit and please you. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless.